The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Yeah, uh, I'll say just by way of introduction, or, or uh, um, well, first of all, it's been a joy being with you all. I appreciate so much uh, your, your men extending the invitation, and I, I love doing this. I, I transitioned from uh, you know, a lead pastor in New England to an equipping pastor in Spokane because I had a burden for equipping lay people for the ministry. That is really my heartbeat, and so to come and talk all weekend about, uh, in order to help equip you to care for one another is uh, me being allowed to uh, let my heart beat even faster. And so it's been a real privilege uh, to come. I do think that when the church is doing what God has called it to do, caring for one another, loving for one another, all the one another's that are on the list, that was in the list of our little conference packet, that... Uh, that is part of how God enables us to let our light so shine before men that they'll see our good works and glorify Him. When we're accomplishing the very thing God's called us to accomplish in a way that impacts the lives of men, women, and children, families, and ultimately our community, people will take notice. Uh, we served in, in New England for 14 years, and New England is a uh, it's a very dark place spiritually. It's one of the most unchurched areas of the United States. It's uh, largely hostile to biblical Christianity, and uh, we were committed to ministering the truth there. And uh, over those 14 years, I'm, I think we tried every outreach we could possibly think of to get our spiritual claws into the community um, and we tried kids' camps and VBSs and bazaars and coffee houses and concerts and door-to-door work and mailers and you name it, we tried it. And in 14 years, I'm not exaggerating, not one of those outreach events resulted in one person coming to faith in Christ or coming to our church. Not one in 14 years. Lots of time and energy. I loved all of those outreaches and the, the unifying uh, spirit of it all was terrific. Like all of us working together, striving together for the gospel was a wonderful thing, but just didn't result in any evangelistic fruit. What I would do, though, in this tiny church, if someone did happen to wander in and I saw someone I, I didn't recognize, and it was really easy to see them because the whole church was about that. So I knew they were there. I would say, if you're here this morning and you've got a struggle in your heart, a conflict in your life, a relationship you don't know how to solve or, or an emotion you don't know what to do with, we believe God's Word has answers for that. And if you would like to hear what God's Word has to say about the troubles in your life, please come and talk to me. Let's make an appointment. Let's sit down and I can open up God's Word with you. We saw about 12 or 14 people, depending on how you're counting, come to faith in Christ through just ministering to their spiritual needs, counseling. That was the only thing that bore fruit there, and it just reminds us that uh, we are needy people. We are needy people, but everyone outside these walls are needy people, right? And Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, but he came to call the sick. And so if we learn 
how to better minister to people's spiritual needs. Saved and unsaved alike, right? The unsaved need the gospel as, as well as the strengthening truth that flows out of that. Uh, we learn to minister truth to the sick and you will see people healed by the gospel. And so it's a real privilege to come and, and, and hopefully I, I hope motivate you some toward that end and equip you some uh, toward that end so that this place, Gold Country Baptist, would be a city on a hill here in, in this region. Um, I'm grateful that Faith Bible Church gives me the, the freedom and opportunity to, to do these kinds of, of things. Um, part, of, part of the desire and conviction grew out of, of seeing what God has designed the church to be, a place where we are called to vitally minister God's Word uh, to one another. One such passage that expresses this one another ministry is 1 Corinthians 12. And if you have a copy of the Scriptures, this is going to be kind of my introduction to uh, our topic this morning, 1 Corinthians 12. In some ways it was uh, the calling card of the conference, verse 25. But I'm going to start reading in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul writes, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Let's pray. God, help us this morning as we uh, unfold... um, Further, what it what it means, what it looks like, what your hope and aim is for for every local church, uh, for this church in particular, to be a, a community of care. Uh, motivate us, strengthen us, uh, accomplish your purposes. We pray both both today and and into the next generation. We ask in Christ's name, Amen. The simple summary of this passage in in 1 Corinthians, I I would say, would be something like this. God constructs local churches in unexpected and unique ways 
to be an interdependent family of mutually caring individuals. That's what we need. We all need an interdependent family of mutually caring individuals. And there are so many issues of life that necessitate believers engaging in mutual care for one another in their spiritual family. There's, there's sadness and grief, which we all experience. We experience death. We experience broken relationships. It could be as simple as just everyday disappointments. Really loss of any kind. And boom, we're spiraling into sadness and grief. There's ongoing weaknesses in our life. They could be physical weaknesses, debilitatingly so. They could be emotional weaknesses. They could be spiritual weaknesses. We, we all know the experience of besetting sins, patterns, sinful patterns with food or pornography or laziness or our, our media or anger, besetting sins, that, that nagging sin that won't seem to go away, that we can't seem to figure out. Or fears and anxieties. It could be, could be the result of just the chaos of life. It, it could be the result of irrational concerns, maybe intrusive thoughts. But we have fear and anxiety at times or relational difficulties, conflicts within our family, within our extended family, situations at work that we don't know how to deal with, perhaps neighbors that are just rude or cantankerous, or conflicts with folks right here in church. Yesterday, I I shared a phrase that has stuck in my head from some training I got years ago that um, as pastors or counselors or people helpers or just, just a good Christian friend, I think as we try to help one another, our attitude should be, and this was the phrase I shared, that we're just one beggar trying to show another beggar where to find the bread. That's, that really should be our humble attitude, not that I have life figured out or I've arrived at some level of maturity in my Christian life and I'm here to help you. Most people don't want to be helped by that person, actually. But rather, I understand the struggle and the weakness that you're going through. I want to help walk alongside you in that struggle and weakness. If we do that well, as I've already implied, it's going to have an impact on what this church family projects collectively as a group to the community. Another phrase that I learned from that same person was the local church should be a hospital for sinners, not a trophy case for saints. If our attitude is that this is a trophy case, then we're probably going to be acting and desiring to put on display how successful we are at this Christian thing. We're going to want to dress up that trophy cabinet. We're, we're going to want to keep our trophies shiny, Right? And that probably translates into Christians maybe feeling compelled to make sure I look good on the outside. To make sure I look shiny. To have the appearance of, of, 
strength, stability, spiritual savvy, or knowledge, or maturity when uh, it might be more appearance than substance. Even when maybe there are struggles and temptations on the outside or even secretly patterns of sin you haven't overcome, you still try to look shiny because the mindset is we're a trophy case for saints. But a mindset that says we're a hospital for sinners, that means we walk in the door knowing that we all suffer from this same plague that we call sin. And we are here to find good medicine for our soul that's going to bring real strength and healing. And that is the mindset that's going to help us be encouraged toward honesty with one another and transparency and and this desire to, to seek help from others who understand my symptoms and understand my suffering from that same plague. And wonderfully, every patient is also a doctor. That's how God has designed us to live with one another in this hospital for sinners. Though, though we may not all have the same specialty, right? You, you may be an eye doctor or an orthopedic surgeon or internal medicine. Meaning we, we may not all know how to diagnose and treat every problem that every person around us has. And yet, here, as a collective body, like 1 Corinthians 12 says, He's put, uh, he's put you together perfectly in order to meet one another's spiritual needs. So that just as you have been comforted with some comfort that you've received, you can now extend that same comfort to others, as Paul says at the beginning of 2 Corinthians. And man, those stories can be dramatic. I have a couple now that I'm that's kind of going through our counseling training. They want to get certified. They want to serve in their own church. or They're part of a, a church up north. I met them about three years ago uh, when their pastor called and said, I've got a situation I, I don't know how to deal with. Um, one of our elders has just confessed he had stolen $100,000 from his grandmother's trust and he had spent it on gambling and prostitutes. He thought, uh, he, he thought his whole thing was, was exposed, uncovered, when he had to do some financial reporting to the people that hold people accountable for trusts. Thinking he was on his way to jail, he, he decided it was time to tell his wife what was really going on. The pastor called. He had not dealt with anything like that. Um, who has? I hadn't dealt with anything like that. Like, oh, another one of those cases. No, no, it was very unique. But he and his pastor came in, and over the course of many months, this man, his heart was humbled, and he learned, and he grew, and he continued to repent, and he continued to learn how to love his wife. His wife extended him grace and forgiveness. Eventually, uh, uh, we, we started doing marriage counseling with them over a period of of many, many weeks, and God was so gracious to them to restore their marriage. They they owned some property up north of the city of Spokane, and uh, they, they built a cross in their backyard that they can see out their kitchen window, out their slider, to remind them every single day 
how the grace of the gospel uh, rescued them from all of that and restored their marriage. They, they look at it as the sun comes up uh, every morning. It's a beautiful story. And now they're like, we want to help others. We want to help other couples learn to be transparent. They're probably not going to find a couple that's got a worse story, right? So, uh, so there they are. They're here. They're getting training uh, at our church. And it's really exciting. But that's what God's design for the church is. is. It's, it's that we all be that help and hope and counsel and strength and encouragement and care that we need. That the church be a place where we're continually pointing one another to the forgiveness of Christ through the gospel, to the strength that he supplies to grow and change, to the worthiness of he himself as the ultimate object of our worship, as the only true source of our our greatest joy, meaning, purpose, and life. So as I'm wrapping up a really great weekend with you all, I want want to expand on, on one of my points from my first message Saturday about why the ministry of soul care, why this caring for one another, why this is the best place in the world to get it and to elaborate on God's design for the church. And God's design for the church implies that caring for one another spiritually is something we're all called to do with humility and with intentionality. And we we only have the time that we have. So we'll just call this a a mini version of a biblical theology of soul care in the church. Not everything that could be said, not every passage that could be read do we have time for, but we're going to build on some themes from, from yesterday. But this will stand alone if you weren't with us and hopefully inspire you to consider how God desires you, each and every one of you, to be both a patient and a doctor in this hospital where sinners find healing from the sickness of sin. So just to give ourselves some hooks to hang our thoughts on and keep us on track, we're going to look at four pursuits of a local church that will guarantee a legacy of spiritual growth for generations. Four pursuits of a local church that really will create a culture of care into the next generation. Number one, the church should diligently strive toward the necessary character. The church to diligently strive toward the necessary character. Galatians uh, chapter 6 has already been referenced here this morning. If anyone's caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. That that passage there is a place where the Scripture describes the church as a place of spiritual care for, for one another. Restoring our brothers or sisters when they're trapped, when they're ensnared, when they're caught in some trespass. And Paul says there's a prerequisite to doing that kind of ministry. And it's that you are spiritual, right? He says you who are spiritual restore such a one. And it's easy to read that word and, and maybe somehow in your mind translated into, I must be a spiritual giant before I try to help people with their problems. Um, Maybe even thinking of it as a a level of maturity or a level of holiness and reverence. Maybe the spiritual ones are the leaders. There we go. (laughs) I hope it's the leaders 
so that I don't have some weighty responsibility. But Paul's already described in this context what spiritual is. Uh, Just at the end of chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, what it means to be spiritual, uh, letting the Spirit live through us, the fruit of that Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul describes what spiritual is, and, and I think verse 26 implies humility as well, right? Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So without using the word, he implies we should be humble. But these are all virtues that all of us are, are striving for or ought to be as, as Christians. And we simply need to check our hearts before we think we can presume to, to restore someone if they're ensnared. But having done that, that's exactly what God wants us to do. You don't need to be a super Christian to help others, and you don't need to wait until you find a super Christian to ask for help or comfort. But as you begin to, to share those needs and, and share biblical solutions for those things, you, you all need to try to bear that fruit of the Spirit by His grace with His help. Be a person, everyone, be a person who loves others with kindness and gentleness. And if you're struggling, seek someone you know that does that and get help. Ask questions. Let them encourage you. I think Paul says something very similar in Romans 15, 14. He's writing again to the whole church, not to the leaders, but to the whole church. And he says, concerning you, my brethren, I am convinced that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to counsel one another, instruct one another, admonish one another. The the word has a range of meaning, but... uh, Uh, Though it can mean warn or admonish, it always means to do so with concern and care, even to the point of tears. If you look up all the uses of the word in the New Testament, Paul would admonish with tears because of his profound care for those he was trying to help. But notice the prerequisite for bringing that kind of instruction and counsel to others isn't formal training or technical qualifications or an office in the church. If you're If you have goodness in your heart and knowledge in your mind, you are able, you have the ability to bring that kind of care to a fellow Christian. And so uh, we should be striving for that, to simply grow in our knowledge of God's Word and, and again, be bearing that fruit of the Spirit, which includes that goodness. And in these passages... It isn't minimizing the personal pursuit for the Lord's sake or for the sake of your own soul, right? So we're not, we're not pursuing that goodness and knowledge just so we can be better helpers. It's good for your own soul as well. Perhaps, though, a passage that connects growth in our character most directly to effectively ministering to others, I think, is Second Peter chapter 1. That's the passage where Peter reminds us that through God's Word, we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. His great and precious promises enable us to become partakers of the divine nature, certainly highlighting the importance of God's precious and magnificent Word. And he says, because we we have this great gift that is God's powerful, sufficient Word, he says in verse 5, applying all diligence... 
very significant. Don't, don't, don't be lazy. Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, love. He's saying, diligently seek to grow in virtue because God has given us His sufficient Word to accomplish that in His power through the Spirit to enable it. But notice what he says in verse 8, 2 Peter chapter 1. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless or unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think anyone here who, who knows and loves the Lord wants to enter heaven useless and unfruitful. I mean, no one's on that list, right? No, we don't want to be useless and unfruitful. So grow. Man, just be striving to grow. And as you're striving to grow and striving to overcome sin, you're going to learn more and more and more about this plague that we're all dealing with so that you can help others. That's why it's so important. If, if we want to have a church that's going to have a legacy of spiritual growth for generations, to diligently strive toward that necessary character. I know your pastors and shepherds are teaching you how to do that, but recognize it's important for your own soul, for the glory of God, and, and actually for the good of others as well. Number two, a second pursuit of a local church that will guarantee a legacy of spiritual growth. Willingly build the necessary relationships. Willingly build necessary relationships when you turn to titus chapter 2 paul says to titus there young pastor speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine older men are to be temperate dignified sensible sound in faith and love and perseverance older women likewise reverent in their behavior not gossips or enslaved to much wine teaching what is good so that they may encourage young women to love their husbands to love their children to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, subject to their own husbands so the Word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be an example in good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say to us. This, this is a familiar passage, I, I believe, advocating and encouraging a model of interdependent and intergenerational ministry. You see that pattern of older teaching the younger, Titus teaching the young men, the older men being exhorted, the older women teaching the younger women. It's a biblical pattern. It's part of how God grows us and moves us along in the faith so that the Word of God will not be dishonored so that unbelievers will have nothing bad to say about us. There's, there's actually some, I think, some secondary motivations that he gives even beyond simply glorifying God with our, our lives. And so there's a, there's a pattern here that we are encouraged to pursue, and it's this intergenerational relationship that will help us. It doesn't mean that all of your encouragement needs to come from someone who's older, someone who's wiser. It doesn't even necessarily mean everyone who's older is wiser, does it? But it does mean this is a good pattern. This is a pattern that 
by God's design is, is a good one to follow. And so we're encouraged and directed to pursue it. In Philippians chapter 4, when Paul you know, is telling us, uh, do not be anxious for anything, right? And he's encouraging us to, in, in how to overcome anxiety. He gets to the end of that little section and he says the last piece of, of the overcoming anxiety puzzle is the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's basically saying what I've taught you and, and what I've shown you by my life, a man who's had plenty of reasons to be anxious, right? Stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked, a night and a day in the deep, all kinds of reasons to be anxious. But he says, what you've seen and heard, imitate me and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's saying, saying to the church there in Philippi, I've been through a lot. You've heard the stories. You, you've heard me teach. Now imitate me. That's, that's part of how you will also experience walking with the God of peace as I have in my troubles. Timothy knew that well. Timothy, who was, who was Paul's protege, knew Paul as a spiritual father. And he points that out also in Philippians in chapter 2, verse 19. He tells the church, I, I want to send Timothy to you so, uh, so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Timothy uh, did go around to various churches and report back to Paul. He says, in verse 23, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. Why? Because verse 22 he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his, his father. Paul was his, his spiritual father. Timothy, a younger man who didn't have a believing father, had a Gentile father. This intergenerational ministry. It highlights that the primary way this should really happen is with parents and children. So children, I encourage you, part of the honoring of your father and mother is listening to them as they speak spiritual truth into your life. And parents, the, the first and foremost and primary way we do intergenerational ministry is by ministering the Word of God to our children, teaching them diligently, Deuteronomy 6 says. We talked about it in the, in the equipping hour. Talking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them on your hands and on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house. Saturate your home with, with God's Word. But beyond you as a parent doing that, uh, I shared in the last hour as well just how thankful I am that in our family, we had older believers who came alongside all three of our children and counseled them and mentored them. Uh, I think some of those counselors know more about my kids than I do in certain regards. And that's okay. <laughs> Parents, you don't want to know everything, do you? It'll probably come up at some future Thanksgiving dinner and you're going to be horrified, right? And I think the benefits cut both ways when you get involved in intergenerational ministry. Uh, a few years ago, we had a guy show up at, at Faith Bible Church. He was a brand new believer. I don't even remember how he got saved. He came in with the, the do-rag and the tats, head to toe, and one of our elders our oldest elder was like, I should probably talk to this guy and maybe help him figure a few things out. And so Jim started meeting with Jason, the tattoo artist, 
the new believer. And uh, it was about a few months later after he'd met with him eight or ten times, he's like, I'm pretty sure I'm learning more from Jason than Jason is learning from me. This guy loves Jesus. And he's excited about sharing his faith with everybody that comes in his tattoo shop. He's a sweet, sweet saint who moved to Idaho like everybody does. It takes mature saints to help younger saints avoid the passions and pitfalls of youth. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, Paul's exhorting Timothy primarily, I think, but I think it applies. He says, now flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart and refuse foolish and ignorant speculations knowing that they produce quarrels the passions and pitfalls of youth you know they exist young people (laughs) they really exist and that wise older person in your life they know a few things learn from their mistakes so you don't have to make all of your own you'll make plenty so intergenerational ministry Build the necessary relationships that are going to help the church guarantee a legacy of spiritual growth for generations. Because if, if you build into a young person the value of having, having a relationship with you as an older person, they're going to be an older person who then desires to build into younger people themselves, and so on and so forth, again, for generations. Number three, a third pursuit of a local church that will guarantee a legacy of spiritual growth, humbly participate in the divine design. Ephesians chapter 4 describes a church functioning well where pastors and teachers are equipping the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Not a picture of a church where the pastors and teachers are doing all the ministry, but one where they're taking the lead in the ministry, setting the example in the ministry, but equipping everyone for the work of the ministry. Uh, This is what I love so much. (laughs) Until, why? Because that's that's the only way when we're all being equipped and doing ministry together will we really attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What a rich picture of a healthy church striving together to live out our relationship with christ speaking the truth in love verse 15 he says we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even christ from whom and listen to how he describes us all working together from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's a rich picture. And you may be sitting here thinking, I'm just a little toe. I'm just a pinky toe in the broad scope of things. I don't know. Have you ever tried to walk with a broken pinky toe? It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. It's potentially dangerous. Right? We need our pinky toe. We need every joint 
We need the proper working of each individual part for it to function the way God's designed it to function. If only our churches were lovingly, effectively fitting and holding everyone together because every part is doing its proper work, but we can. We can do that. You can do that. Gold Country Baptist can do that by humbly being committed to this design, saying, I'm just going to take the next step forward in developing that character and growing in that knowledge and being transparent with others and being willing to serve people that I believe are hurting. And that may be practical service, right? We read Romans 12 to start. So vital. If, if your gift is serving, then do it with zeal, right? If it's teaching, then be diligent. If it's mercy, with cheerfulness, right? It's not that we're all gifted the same way. You may be a servant or a mercy ministry person, but we can all know truth and we can all speak truth to one another in loving ways and encourage one another. We, we spent some time talking about Ephesians 4, 22 through through 24, Paul talks about this is how we grow spiritually. We put off the old man and we be renewed in the spirit of our mind and we, and we put on the new man. We all need somebody helping us with those kinds of issues, myself included, as I, I described this weekend. You can, you can go back and listen to the recordings if you want to know about my sins. <laughs> They're all documented, much to my wife's chagrin. But we need help. Not just to, to be more involved with the wife and kids, men. It's not just about being there more, but actually putting on and, and being renewing your mind and finding, you know, learning how to stop finding your ultimate meaning in success at work and overworking. And put your work in its proper perspective to grow in, in Devoting time and thinking differently about the things that have caused you not to and then putting on the virtue that puts Christ first, your family second, and your work in its proper place. Or young mom, you need help thinking through and talking through that put off, renew, put on so that you don't just stop yelling at your kids, but you stop measuring your competency as a, as a wife or a mother on whether or not your house is always neat and tidy the way you like it. Where you learn actually for the glory of God to be content with a little messiness for the sake of faithfulness to your kids. Or you who struggle with worry or anxiety, recognizing that anxiety happens. When does it happen? It happens when our heart and mind is described as Jesus describes it in Matthew 6 when He says, Do not be anxious, O you of little faith, he says. Somewhere in our anxiety is a, a failure to remember and to believe something about God's character and promises. But if you're the one struggling with anxiety and worry, you, you might have a really hard time putting your finger on exactly what it is that you're forgetting because you're too anxious to think about it. So go to someone and say, I'm struggling with worry about this issue. What am I forgetting about God and His promises? Can you, can you help me renew my mind and help me focus on the Lord and on His promises and keep the responsibilities I have in the right place? See, that's how, that's how it works when we're humbly participating in this divine design and we all need that kind of help and encouragement.
along the way. That's the third pursuit. So we're going to strive toward that character. We're going to build the kinds of relationships that can make it happen. And then we're going to humbly participate in that divine design. And then fourth, the fourth pursuit that's going to guarantee a legacy of spiritual growth is intentionally raise up the next generation. Intentionally raise up the next generation. Second Timothy, I can't remember. Did we read this verse already? Maybe we did. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. You therefore, my son, so Paul's writing to Timothy near the end of his life, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul calls Timothy to pass on the faith. Pass on the gospel. Pass on the defense of the truth. Certainly he means those things. But I believe he also means pass on what life in the church is supposed to be. Pass on what it means to be biblically ministering the Word of God to one another. Point number two, building those relationships, is about intergenerational ministry. Point point four here is about equipping the next generation to understand and carry out those things in the future. It's about creating a legacy of edification. And the Bible talks about that. How many times in in the Old Testament... We read Deuteronomy 6 earlier. Pass it on to the next generation. Psalm 78 is kind of all about that. The psalmist writes, Listen, O people, to my instruction. Incline your ear to the words of of my mouth. Then he says in verse 4, Don't conceal this from your children, but tell the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that he has done that the generation to come verse 6 might know and even the children yet to be born that they may arise and tell it to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments that's God wants us to pass the faith along to the next generation and be constantly continually raising up that next generation and building into them the same knowledge and understanding and and commitments to biblical ministry that serve us so well. He says to Timothy a few verses before chapter 2, in 2 Timothy 1.13, retain the standard of sound words which you've heard from me in the faith and the love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you guard the treasure of the gospel guard the treasure of biblical ministry in the local church and why was paul so concerned about it in this letter because he he says at the end of the letter verse 7 i've fought the good fight i've finished the course i've kept my i've kept the faith he he knows this is the time for timothy to take on the role of raising up the next generation because his time to do that is over And he's calling Timothy to pass on that legacy of faithfulness to the gospel and faithfulness to biblical ministry. Wherever he is, at that time he was probably at the church in Ephesus. So so we've said four pursuits of of a a local church that will guarantee a legacy of spiritual growth for generations. Now don't, don't get me wrong, this isn't some kind of absolute promise 
that I'm making. These aren't magic principles, right? Uh, and, and certainly we haven't said everything that could be said about what faithful ministry and what a church of loving, mutual, intergenerational soul care looks like. But to the extent that you understand and you live these things out in the life of Gold Country Baptist, to that same extent, you are inviting God's blessing to this place and, and to your community for the furtherance of the gospel, for the building up of the body of Christ, and ultimately for the glory of God in the church. And I, I, I can taste your hunger for that in my conversations with you, and I'm confident it's what you desire. I'm so thankful to have had the privilege and joy to bring God's Word to you this weekend. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep praying for you all, as I have been, that you'll desire and pursue this caring for one another ministry that will strengthen the church. It will, it will strengthen you all together, I believe, creating a, a unity that is a beautiful thing. And it's going to strengthen the church so that this region sees and is compelled to visit a place where souls are loved and cared for and they're real and they're genuine people who don't pretend so that your light will shine before men. And they'll see your good works and God's good work in you and glorify Him. Church, care for one another's souls. And the souls that need care will come and they'll be transformed by the gospel. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for your, your promises and your reminders to us. You, you have put these people together in this very unique place, in this very unique way in order to be a city set on a hill, to be a, a glowing testimony of your goodness and your grace and the power of the gospel. And I pray that you would strengthen and motivate them to faithfully care for one another in every good way that you've called them to. Give them a heart that longs to, to grow themselves, that longs to be real and transparent with one another, that longs to build up the body of Christ in every way. And God, do great things in this place for the glory of your name. Amen.